0: Welcome to the Movement PT Coffee Cast, where we sit down and talk about physical therapy, health, and whatever else comes to mind during our coffee-infused conversations. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Movement PT Coffee Cast. My name's Dalton, and with me, as always, is my beautifully bearded friend William. William, how are we doing today? Doing pretty good, Dalton. We're uh, switching it up here a bit, eh? Switching it up, as in with our uh, our beverage. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a little late. It's, uh, it's a little late here. We're doing a late podcast. Our our guest has kids, so you know we gotta gotta rearrange the schedule. So we are actually uh, drinking tea. So we're the PT tea cast for this episode so don't come after us guys we just we want to be able to sleep tonight so <laughs> well what kind of tea are you drinking i've got a it's like a rose petal chamomile tea I, I don't know i found it in my mom's like tea cabinet so it's pretty good how about you yeah i'm drinking um, some peppermint tea so <laughs> it's soothing my soul it's getting me ready to talk i think it's gonna be a good podcast. <laughs> So guys, we're back at it again with another interview today. Um, today, we have Connor Massimo on. He's a physiotherapist uh, from Peterborough, Ontario. Uh, he is the co-founder of Pulse Physiotherapy. Uh, he's doing some great things up in the the Peterborough area, and we're excited to uh, sit down and chat with him. Connor, how are you doing?
1: Yeah, good, guys. Thanks for having me on.
0: No problem. Kids are in bed. It's time to... Uh...
1: Kids are in bed just barely, last, uh, last five minutes right before I started chatting with you guys, so we're good to go now.
0: Good, good. <laughs> and we know, time. Time. we know you're not a big <laughs> coffee drinker, so it's actually fitting that uh, we're not doing coffee t- today. Are you drinking anything?
1: Yeah, thanks for not making me feel too bad about that. I, uh, <laughs> I figured I'd get a lot of flack. I, I've never drank coffee. Um, I've tried it. I've tried it a few times. It's just not for me. Um, so I am substituting with an adult beverage this evening. Um, Ransack the universe uh, out of Burlington.
0: Oh, um, represent
1: Collective Arts. Collective Cripe. Arts. If you guys are familiar at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be my coffee for this evening. It's too, too late for caffeine anyway.
0: No, you're right. That's why we, we were drinking co- like we were doing like 9:30 podcasts and we were drinking coffee because we're like, oh, we got to stay true, and then like. To do it i wouldn't be to bed till like two in the morning i'm like yeah i can't do this anymore so i think it's all different too when you're actually on placement and you know
2: yeah. you have to work in the morning then go to school you can just kind of roll out of bed like pop over the lecture so
1: just uh just wait till you're on placement permanently
2: that's uh that's coming up soon boys I right know. on exactly <laughs> we have to make our podcast at a little more reasonable time yes
0: so Connor, why don't you just start off by kind of intro, introducing yourself, telling our listeners a little bit about you and, and what you got going on in Peterborough.
1: Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, I went to school at Mac for kinesiology initially. That's where I did my undergrad uh, McMaster University in Hamilton and uh, continued on there to do my master's in uh, physiotherapy. Uh, I know you guys go physical therapy, but we're still physiotherapy in Hamilton. And uh, so that finished up in 2011. Uh, And then moved back to Peterborough, which is my hometown, which is just, uh, for those of you who don't know, about uh, an hour and a half northeast of Toronto. And uh, I've been back here since then. Uh, I was working at a private practice initially, uh, working for someone else at a big clinic in town. Uh, and then, um, kind of teamed up with uh, a good friend of mine, Adam Summers, who's another physiotherapist, uh, in town and, uh, we opened Paul's physiotherapy together and, uh, that's coming up on four years ago now.
0: Wow! Well,
2: awesome. Let's, uh, talk about like, kind of like the environment that you created at Paul's physiotherapy. How did, how did Paul's physiotherapy get started in the first place? And what is the kind of experience that you're trying to cultivate in, in the clinic?
1: Uh, yeah, that's, that's a big part of why we started. Adam and I uh, were both working at the same clinic together, uh, had become uh, pretty good friends over the years and kind of chatted about it a few different times. And then the final straw was kind of, uh, just a few things went down at the clinic we were at that we just weren't overly happy with. Um, and it just didn't really feel like there was anywhere for us to grow there, um, just professionally. Uh, so we kind of decided, you know, we don't know a thing about business, to be honest, but uh, I'm sure we can figure it out as we go. So we were uh, we were up at Adams Cottage uh, in Northern Ontario, just sitting around uh, the bonfire having a beer and just kind of said, you know, let's, let's start this thing. Uh, let's go for it. Uh, so that was about you know, five years ago, probably close to now five years ago. So uh, it took us about six months to do the business planning stages of things and, uh, and then picked it up and, and started off just the two of us. Uh, and we've kind of built it up from there. And uh, now we've got uh, five practicing therapists and uh, yeah, things are growing. So our, our culture is more, uh, that was the big reason why we started, which was, you know, we want to do something that we don't really see locally. Um, there's a lot of big, kind of up and running clinics where, you know, it's it's shorter treatment times and a lot of uh, a lot of use of physio assistance. Um, and not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just it wasn't for us. Um, we wanted to do more of the one-on-one thing, uh, kind of one-hour initial assessments, half-hour follow-up visits, and uh, and kind of build more of a rapport with your clientele. And uh, that's kind of what we've been going for. And uh, I think that's been a big part of our growth is, uh, is just trying to more of the personal touch.
0: Yeah, that's uh, definitely, that's definitely something you can tell. Like, I mean, obviously, we've never been to the clinic, but we've seen it on social media and stuff. You can tell that the culture and the environment that you're trying to create at the clinic is, is very, Evident. is there certain is there certain like philosophies or things that you guys try to to follow um, when you have someone that, that comes in the door
1: uh, I mean I guess it's cliche but you're really trying to be your best for everyone um, kind of when I chatted uh, chatted with the PT uh, BC crew a few weeks ago it was the same story as uh, when you're in a smaller area like Peterborough um, it's you know, you probably already have some connection to the person before they come in. Uh, So, you know, in a bigger city like like the GTA or or any of the other big cities, um, there's a good chance that when the person walks in the door, you've never seen them before, never heard of them. Um, But where we are in more of a rural setting, um, if you don't know them directly, you probably know their family members or they were referred to you by a friend. So um, I think that gives you a bit of a leg up initially that uh, they kind of know who they're going to uh, but it also puts that added pressure on you that uh, you kind of you want to be at your best all the time um, and I think that goes the same for everyone but it just puts that little added pressure of, of really making sure that you're doing your best for your patients uh, because you're you know you're likely going to see them at the grocery store or on the baseball field or something like that within the next month or two so um, you really want to be at the top of your game all the time
2: also pretty like obviously, you guys are really involved in the community too, right like like you said, rural kind of area, so you guys kind of know people. but how do you guys go about trying to get involved with the community, and why do you think that's uh, valuable for physiotherapists to kind of get more involved in the communities <clears throat>
1: Yeah, I think um, we, we do make a, an effort to do that. We, uh, we work with one of the local uh, junior, junior lacrosse teams here. Uh, so that keeps us busy throughout uh, a lot of the summer months. Uh, and then we do a few different community events. We've got, uh, we've got a charity golf uh, tournament coming up that we're a sponsor of. Uh, we do a, a dragon boating race which is uh, a fundraiser for breast cancer uh, locally. Uh, So all the money goes to the Peterborough hospital. So yeah, we try to put ourselves out there as much as we can. Um, Why is that important? I think a, because we're kind of still the new, the new guys in town. Um, It's been four years now. So some people are starting to hear more about us. Um, But for a lot of people, that's, that's just a good, good time to kind of provide some exposure to the community of, of who we are and um, rather than just seeing the Pulse Physio logo, actually kind of putting faces to the to the to the logo, and uh, just just kind of striking up some regular conversations—not always about uh, physio, but just just about day-to-day stuff—and and just letting people get to know you a little bit, I think really helps uh, with the branding piece of it, right? Because
0: yeah.
1: I think for a lot of people that have never been to physio or physical therapy. Um, the branding of of physio itself can be a bit of a struggle. Uh, So just putting yourself out there and chatting about what you actually do in the clinic, I think can be really helpful.
0: Yeah. And even though it just kind of sets that, you know, starts building somewhat of that alliance before they even step in the door. Not like you, you know, even if it's not that person that you're seeing, if, if it's a family member of that person that you're talking to and they're relaying information like about your clinic to them, like when they walk through the door, they're probably already, you know, have a decent mindset around what to expect and what kind of people at least they're dealing with. Right.
1: For sure. Yeah. And, um, just even the number of, of uh, husband, wife or spouse couples that we treat is, is kind of crazy. Just, just being in a, a smaller local area. So, you know, that kind of sets up a bit of a different expectation for, for treatment as well as, You know, my, my husband came in and this is what he had for physio and and he got better. And, and sometimes it's, it's striking those conversations early that, you know, this is, you know, it's a different injury. You're a different person just because your husband, you know, responded well to those types of treatments doesn't mean it's going to be the exact same for you. Uh, So just, uh, just being clear on that early on, I think can be really helpful. Uh, But then, like you said, it, I think it can give you a bit of a level up just to, you know, already have this reputation that that you were helpful in some way, or you provided some kind of resource for that person as they were uh, kind of recovering from an injury or, or what have you.
0: Um, so obviously, you guys are doing, you know, pretty well, you guys are extending the pulse uh, brand to pulse 2.0. What what is uh, what's that all about? And when when are you guys gonna be up and running with that?
1: Uh, yeah, we're excited about it. We, uh, we have been working on an expansion for the better part of six months now. Uh, so it, uh, it kind of became obvious over the past year that we were outgrowing our space, uh, quicker than we thought we would. So it's, uh, definitely a good problem to have, but not one that we, uh, not one that we thought we'd run into, uh, this soon anyway. So, uh, we know the, the landlords of the plaza that we're in, uh, quite well. And, uh, they actually owned uh they owned the plaza and they owned the business that was adjacent to ours and uh they were willing to move their business to allow us to expand well wow. which was uh which was pretty awesome of them uh to do so the the renovation's almost done um we're adding a good chunk of space to our clinic um and a nice big open gym space which is what we're really most excited about um uh, definitely more treatment rooms as well, but uh, definitely what I'm really looking forward to is more space to to get people moving. Uh, because when it was just Adam and I, we have this this small little gym space that worked well. But now, if there's uh, if there's four or five of us in the clinic at the same time, it doesn't work so well. Yeah. Uh, so yes, uh, getting a a brand new uh, a new bench we got coming. We've got a second squat rack coming and. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so those are the things we're looking forward to, as well as uh, just a separate studio space. So uh, we're gonna kind of do some rentals to local uh, uh, yoga instructors, Pilates instructors, things like that. Just to uh, yeah, just to provide more space to to get people moving.
2: That's super cool. Like, are you gonna have like an open like uh, turf area, or is it just gonna be like more? like more squat racks and that kind of thing. Yeah. We had, we talked about turf
1: and, uh, it kind of got X just because it's <laughs> right in the middle of the clinic. Uh, uh so you uh, just for honestly, the mobility piece of it, uh, I just kind of started picturing some of my clientele that are, you know, in, in wheelchair chairs or walkers, uh, or, you know, any mobility issues. And, uh, not really wanting that to be their introduction to physio that you've got to now navigate across turf to get to your treatment room on day one. Yeah. Uh, But that was just purely just a setup of our clinic. Um, So we're just going to go with uh, just a hard rubber floor throughout the whole gym area. So uh, it'll be good to drop weights on, but people won't have uh, have too
2: much trouble navigating it either. Nice. But I do feel like we have to uh, talk about the squat rack. When I saw the squat rack on your (sighs) Instagram page, I was like, so pumped up, especially with the camo and stuff on the plate. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, we, we, we get a lot of use out of it. Um, I did a post on Instagram a few weeks ago, just saying that, uh, the squat rack is my favorite modality. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, uh, so yeah, yeah, we've, uh, I was joking with one of my clients the other day and and they said, you know, aren't you going to put ultrasound on this? Uh, And I I said to them, kind of jokingly, but actually fairly serious that I don't really know how to use our machine. (laughs) Uh, We we bought it just because we kind of thought we had to. And now I wish we hadn't because I haven't used it in the the close to four years that we've been there. I haven't turned it on yet. Uh, so that was an expensive purchase that I should have just maybe held off on, on day one. Could have bought could have bought some more plates and dumbbells yeah, and stuff. Yeah, could have bought even another squat rack.
2: <laughs> could try selling it on Kijiji. <laughs> you,
1: you know what? I'm sure there'd uh I'm sure there'd still be some takers out there. And and not not to knock ultrasound. I know there's still a time and a place for it. I just uh I just haven't found the time or the place for it. Fair enough.
0: Do you have people, do you have people coming and asking for it specifically at times?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, we've had that. Um, and I know some of our, some of our clinicians, uh, use it sparingly. Uh, and when we chat about why they're using it, it's usually for that reason, right? It's usually, uh, a previous experience and, uh, no matter how much education you provide, you can't get them off that idea that that was what got them better. Uh, so at the end of the day, is that really harming them? Probably not. Is it helping them? Probably just in that placebo way. Uh, but I think if you're, you know, honest about explaining that to them, and, uh, you know, if they're interested at all, chat a little bit about what the research may be for it or, or against it. Uh, and then really, it's uh, it's kind of up to the therapist and, and the patient at that point. But I think when we see people use it still the odd time, that's, I think, most of the reason.
2: Yeah. In a similar vein, how have your patients responded to the squat rack?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I think well, in general. Um, I think it's, you know, just putting it out on social media has drawn more of that kind of athletic population to our clinic for sure. Um, which that wasn't my intention with, with having it. It really was just to get, everyday folks using it um, because there's so much research to show the benefits of, you know, for example, deadlifting for back pain or, um, you know, if you want to look at someone's squat and they're, and they're complaining of of pain with squatting and all you can do in the clinic is have them do a bodyweight squat. Um, yeah. That's probably not going to give you all of the information that you need. Um, you know, I have a lot of folks who, you know, come in and they're, you know, I, I squat however much weight and uh, and it's only when I'm in that, you know, RPE of seven or eight that I start to run into low back pain issues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me to have them do a, a body weight squat or even to have a couple dumbbells in their hand and do a squat, you know, they're going to be at a, a two or a one on the RPE and it's not going to give me any information. They'll tell me, yeah, it doesn't hurt to do that. I look at their patterning and it looks fairly good, right? Whatever that means. But doesn't look like there's any you know, major obvious flaws in their, in their movement patterns uh, until we load them up with some weight and, uh, and then we start to see some things potentially break down. Um, but previous to about a year ago when we got the squat rack, I just wasn't able to properly assess those clients. Uh, and I also found it annoying um, having to kind of outsource or, or actually I ended up starting to go and meet people at their gyms Uh, to like take them through the stages of an ACL rehab for example Um, because you know you could get through maybe one month one or so without any weight but uh, after that you better be loading people and loading them appropriately and uh, body weight just isn't going to cut it in most of those cases
2: yeah I think you're missing out on like the opportunity to really empower people to like, I mean, it doesn't even have to necessarily be the squat rack. But I find even if there were just like, uh, 30 pound kettlebells, at some places where, you know, you can show somebody look like, um, I think you're ready to start getting some serious loading here, let's try it out. And you're there actually helping them and showing them like, look, like you can do this, and you can tolerate this level of uh, intensity. And that kind of thing, I think, is something that uh, we could really benefit from a profession from just having those options, even if For we don't sure. do I mean, it every time.
1: I, I, how often do you hear um, people complain about, you know, pain with lifting their kids or their grandkids? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's such a, you know, we hear that every week, you know, almost every day, probably. Um, so you got to have something that weighs at least as much as their grandkids, right? Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: and show them that, you know, it's very safe to be doing that. And if they have some pain with it, maybe there's some different strategies they could use to do the lift uh, and then kind of build their capacity that way. Um, if you can get someone lifting, you know, say they have a, a toddler at home that weighs you know, 20, 25 pounds and you can get them lifting a kettlebell that's 35 pounds for reps. then all of a sudden, you know, the lights are starting to go off in their head. The wheels are spinning, right. That, Oh, I, you know, why can't I lift my grandson then, you know, this actually weighs more than them and I'm lifting it consecutively, you know, eight or 12 times. Right. So I think it's really powerful to be able to provide that load within the clinic space. Uh, Plus, like I said, I just got tired of having to go meet people at their gyms. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know if it was legal, to be honest.
2: <laughs> it was, some uh, good points.
1: I'm like, I don't know if these gyms are happy with me providing advice while I'm here. I was kind of like in work <laughs> out here myself, just like <laughs> trying to slide by. Well, good for you
0: for doing that, though. That's yeah, awesome.
1: Well, I mean, you have to, right? If, yeah. if you want to provide that care. Yeah. I didn't want to just, you know, uh, we have some good uh, some good trainers and uh, strength coaches in town, but uh, I'd like to be able to kind of bridge that gap myself and not always have to refer out to someone. Yeah, uh, and that's really what I'm most excited about with with the expansion is just having like a proper gym space.
0: Yeah, that's exciting. I'm pumped for you guys. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so, I mean, I see you all over Instagram. You're, you know, you're you're deadlifting, you're squatting, you're doing pistol squats on beams. You're in the park. Like, <laughs> you're doing all these crazy stuff. What what is uh What are some of your like uh, exercise philosophies and how, how does that translate into what you do in the the clinic or does it at all?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think it definitely does. Um, I think if it, if it didn't, you'd be lying to yourself probably. Um, I think we all are biased, right? We want people to like to be active Uh, and you know, for 99% of the folks that went into physical therapy school, You know, at some point in their life and probably still they are active in some way, you know, whether they're runners or competitive athletes or, uh, you know, so many different types of sports that people still play into their adult years. Um, For me, uh, I play I play hardball still. There's a men's hardball league in Peterborough. So that that keeps me busy all summer. Uh, I retired the hockey skates a while ago cause I'm just not very good. <laughs> so the, the odd, uh, the odd charity tournament, I get out there and ankle burn a little bit, but, uh, but otherwise I, uh, I go to the gym throughout the winter and, uh, yeah, I like to mix it up as much as I can. Um, I do, I go to uh, a training facility in Peterborough called uh, hybrid fitness, health promotion, um, fitness, health, and performance. And it's, uh, it's kind of like what you were picturing when, when you wanted me to have turf in my clinic. They've got the turf there and the squat racks and everything. So uh, I, I train there two or three times a week myself just to try to keep active. And, uh, and then, yeah, when, I, when I'm bored, I, I just try to go find a, a playground and do some kind of, you know, amateur version of calisthenic type training uh, because I can't do anything like you can do on those, uh, those cool Instagram accounts. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> yeah. yeah. ups were good though. I <laughs> watching, that was good. I'm, uh, I'm trying to master the muscle up now. That's my next project. Uh, nice. so I've, uh, I've been able to struggle through one or two
2: on the bar and I want to get to uh, get to the rings next. That's my goal. Nice. So safe to say you like kind of like exploration of movement and just kind of like, trying to explore movement, that kind of thing.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, when I post a video of me pistol squatting or something like that, it's not because I think everyone needs to do that or everyone would want to do that. Um, It's just to say that people can do this, right? Mm -hmm. If you have an interest in it, and that's usually what I'll I'll write in the comments, right? This may not be for everyone. um, But, and the only reason I posted kind of like a how-to, you know, progression up into doing a pistol squat um, was because I got so many questions when I posted a video of doing a pistol squat, so I figured, well, I'll just do a how-to video and kind of some stepwise progressions. And you know, people may only ever get to step two, but they're still getting you know some good unilateral loading uh, that probably will benefit them in some way from day to day life uh, or for whatever sport they're doing. So it really wasn't to show off or say, you know, I'm I'm able to do a pistol and you're not. It was kind of the opposite. It was you know, this is something that I enjoy doing. Here's a video of it. And then got a lot of feedback saying, you know, I would like to do that too. So that was kind of me saying, well,
2: here's how I think you could progress to doing something like this. I love that. Speaking of social media, then we know, obviously, (laughs) that that's kind of how we met you. So have you found social media is like benefiting your guys' clinic?
1: Uh, Yes. Yes, is the short answer. Um, It's, You know, I'm still in the early stages of kind of trying to learn what I'm doing, to be honest with social media, um, learning a lot from guys like you, to be honest, that are, are younger and kind of grew up more into that techie. And I'm, you know, I'm 30, so I'm not so far out of it, but, um, I think it takes me longer than it probably takes you guys to, uh, to do some of the, the, you know, video editing or things like that, that you probably just become second nature to, uh to the younger generation for sure. Um, but yeah, we, we honestly, we hear, we hear people every day in the clinic um, that just you know tell us that that's how they found us or uh, something about what we were posting or just the culture of you know, what our clinic seemed to look like on social media is why they, they came to us versus going to someone else. Um, so I definitely think it's been worth it. Um, definitely a big learning experience and, and I've got a lot to learn still. Uh, And I think a lot of it, like you guys know through what you do, a lot of it is time. Um, So we've had, uh, we've had a kind of a crazy busy summer um, with, with one of our therapists going off on maternity leave and, uh, and the clinic expansion. And uh, I just had a a baby, my wife had a baby two months ago, and we just moved uh, to a new house this week. So um, I've kind of been finding myself just not being able to you know, kind of spend as many hours that I need to each week to produce the kind of content that I want to be able to. Um, But that's what I'm looking forward to. In the fall, we've got, uh, we've got one of our therapists back from maternity leave and, uh, and a new therapist joining our team. And and we're going to kind of Adam and I and my business partner are going to kind of dial down our own clinical hours uh, to be able to do more of the um, kind of clinic promotion and, and business side of things. And and my thing is the social media. So I'm looking forward to having more time for that.
0: Cool. Yeah. I mean, you guys do a great job with the social media. I mean, I, I really love the content that you guys are putting out And and with regards to us being good at, um, <laughs> uh, like editing video, me and Will had no idea and we still edit the videos in the most ghetto way possible <laughs> on our iPads. Like, <laughs> so like we're by no means like masters <laughs> of, of that at all. <laughs>
1: I, I feel like I, there has to be a better way than like me <laughs> opening seven different apps to be able to, <laughs> to be able to do this. I'm like, is there not one app that just does this for me?
0: Yeah, uh, it probably, it probably is. Uh,
1: I listened to, I listened to a podcast with, uh, with the movement maestro Shante a few weeks ago. And, uh, it was kind of, they did a two part series about social media. Um, and I was happy to learn, um, that she's got a great account, but I was happy to learn that, she opens about six different apps as well to edit her video. So I'm like, maybe there actually isn't a better way. So I don't know
2: that there is.
1: it just takes time, right?
2: Yeah. All these things take time and like it's learning and everything, you know, but it is definitely for us. It's encouraging to hear that social media can help draw people towards like, uh, your clinic. I think for us, that's, that's a definitely an encouraging thing to hear. Yeah.
1: I think a hundred percent it does. Um, you know, you don't always hear that directly, um, but I do hear it directly fairly often. Um, but then, you, you know, just if you do any reading on, on marketing, um, a lot of it is just kind of through osmosis, right? If, if you're top of mind for someone when they, uh, when they hurt their back or when they sprain their ankle, if, if, if your brand comes to mind for them or is one of the top three brands that come to mind... Uh, you're more likely to be kind of one of the brands that they that they look for and, and search for when they when they do their group their Google search. Uh, so that's our goal is, you know, just just kind of telling people what we do um, as much as you can tell them in a in a picture or in a sixty second video, uh, but kind of giving people an idea of of what we're all about and uh, we're not just a clinic where you're going to go and. Uh, get a heat a hot pack thrown on you and get some ultrasound and and get some i f c we we're, we're more about you know one on one care and and being you know patient focused and and really taking the time to kind of get to know people uh and then and really having that focus on movement and activity
2: yeah so at our the university at Dalton and I go to it's it's very manual therapy focused or at least there's a lot of coverage of manual therapy in, in our program. So we know, obviously you have your F camp levels. Uh, so we thought we would just kind of talk about like, how do you yourself and maybe your clinic utilize manual therapy in your clinic?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Good question. It's definitely, definitely a part of what we do. Um, I know there's kind of been a, a big backlash against manual therapy uh over the past couple of years uh on social media um and i don't i don't in any way get offended by any of that um uh adam eakins is one of my favorite podcasts in terms of the physio world that i I kind of listen to religiously um and he famously produces shirts that say manual therapy sucks uh and i i don't take any offense to that um I don't, I have my F Camp which uh, in, in Canada is Fellowship of Canadian Association of Manual and Manipulative Physiotherapists. Uh, it's a mouthful. Um, but <laughs> I didn't even know what it's, it's standing for, to be honest. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what it's, it's it's a lot. Um, and it's, yeah, it's kind of drawn out. Uh, anyways, just <laughs> some letters, essentially. And, and it, uh, in Canada, it kind of takes you a while to get to that uh, kind of designation, there's a couple ways of going about it. You can do a clinical master's program um, where you're kind of uh, directly doing it for about a year with with some placements uh, at, at your university and then a lot of kind of uh, home home based work as well. Uh, I did it kind of the old fashioned way, which is a lot of weekend courses um, and uh, and examinations over over about a, a four year span for me. Uh, so it is quite involved and there's a lot to it. Um, and it's definitely not just a weekend course on how to crack someone's back or, uh, or how to do a neck, uh, manipulation. Uh, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, those are, those are some pieces that, that become part of it as you get further and further through the system. Um, but it's not, uh, definitely not what the whole thing's about. Um, And how often do I do do a neck manipulation? It would, you know, be very rare, to be honest. Um, I do use them when I find uh, a patient or a client that I think, you know, acutely would benefit from them. uh, And that is very low. It's never going to be no risk, but it's very low risk. A young, healthy person that's not on any medications, doesn't have any family history of stroke, uh, so on and so forth. Um, So, you know, I... I use those skills that I've you know been trained to use when I think they're appropriate Um, but I also treat you know quite a few patients where I don't do uh, don't do any type of hands-on manual therapy Uh, that happens quite often Uh, on a daily basis there's there's a lot of people that I see where you know I I check in with them Uh, we have private treatment rooms at our clinic so They come to the room. I kind of check in with them, see how they've been doing in the past week or two since I've seen them and, and then get right out into the gym and uh, take a look at their deadlift or take a look at their squat. So yes, I do use manual therapy, uh, but I don't, you know, I don't call myself a manual therapist. Uh, I call myself a physiotherapist or a physical therapist who does some manual therapy. Um, But I do think it's important if you're going to use manual therapy uh, and you want it to be part of what you do, um, that you have to be very honest with people about what the research is surrounding manual therapy. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the backlash has been, um, and rightfully so. So uh, when I listen to someone like Adam Meekins or um, you know any of those crew, you know, Peter O'Sullivan, he kind of uses some version of manual therapy, meaning, you know, he has his hands on people as he's kind of guiding them through movement. So if you want to call that manual therapy, uh, but some of the backlash against it, I think is that we're, we're just using it on everyone and we're not, you know, we're not really explaining what the mechanisms are or what the proposed mechanisms are. Cause a lot of times we don't even know what the mechanisms are, uh, but what the proposed mechanisms are and what we actually think we might be able to attain by using these techniques Uh, I'm always very honest with people before I choose to use one of those techniques of, for example, a manipulation or even just a mobilization uh, telling them that my hope with this is that we can get some short-term pain relief for you um, and that we can kind of reinforce that movement pattern with an exercise that I will show you right after we do this technique Uh, and that if we do this technique and you don't do any of those movement patterns on your own over the next week, this technique is useless. Right. So, um, you know, and and if we didn't do this technique and you just do those movement patterns, that can be very powerful as well. My whole goal is just to give them some kind of short-term pain relief and reinforce that they are able to move, uh, and that, you know, they're able to move safely. Uh, but I do, I do try to pick and choose the people wisely that I'm going to use manual therapy with, uh, because there's some people day one that I just, you know, you get that kind of feel or you, you go through their subjective history and you just think, you know, this has been an episode of low back pain that's persisted for years on end. Uh, What do I really think I'm going to accomplish, you know, with a lumbar gap manipulation? Probably nothing. Right. And um, you know, potentially they've, you know, they've got a lot of kind of fear and movement avoidance already built up. Why do I have to kind of get on their back and try to manhandle it for them rather than, kind of t- teaching them some relaxed breathing techniques on day 1 that that might be able to get them moving in a in a little bit of a less stressful way.
2: Wow, that covered a lot. That was awesome. Yeah. I didn't know I, if you guys were out of questions or not. So like, sip talking.
0: of his beer, like finishes that question. Just sips. <laughs> yeah. I, did I just have, figured like, if one,
1: you guys had four manual therapy questions, I'd just try to fire
2: through them on one answer. You did <laughs> knock them all out. <laughs> no, I like I like how you have that um narrative set. You know, I think that's a big thing that uh we could really nail down is like just making sure that narrative is solid as far as like this could just provide some short-term pain relief like i found like i've kind of started taking that approach i in placement like i haven't used manual therapy too often but when i when i have i've really just kind of tried to i probably didn't say it as eloquently as you did (laughs) but uh you know just just to be honest i feel like that honesty can really help uh with the whole effectiveness of the treatment yeah and
1: i think it's um you know, as therapists, if you if you're trying to do your best, you're always trying to be learning, right? So, I mean, that's that's what you guys are doing. That's why you're making this podcast. You're trying to help people learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, if you're if you're trying to be the best therapist that you can be, you've got to be always learning. So, I think it'd be too easy to say, you know, I invested a ton of time and money into kind of doing this coursework. You know, now I'm a manual therapist and that's my identity as a physical therapist or as a physiotherapist. Um whereas that's that's not how I see it. You know, I see it as uh, I gained a lot out of doing those courses outside of learning how to do a thoracic spine manipulation. Um you know, a lot of the instructors in those courses in in Ontario or in Canada are you know, are there because, you know, sometimes they're the quote unquote kind of manual therapy gurus, but also a lot of the times they're just the most kind of evidence-based and researched therapists that there are who happen to be involved in manual therapy, right? And, and these are people that are kind of moving the profession forward in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think it's easy to kind of rag on them and say, yeah, they're, you know, they're the old gurus, they're the manual therapy gurus, but you know they have so much to offer that's outside of manual therapy, uh, and that was kind of the biggest things that I took from doing those courses were, you know, just just the clinical reasoning pieces and uh, and how to, you know, how to build a relationship with a client and all those things that you just pick up with with doing those courses um, that are far more important than than your technique on doing a manual therapy technique.
0: Yeah. And like, I think we kind of talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but I think the hardest part for students is we kind of just get thrown it all at us really quick in a short period of time. Um, and we don't really know necessarily when it fits in. And I think you, you kind of hit a good point was when you're saying like someone that comes in with a chronic, chronic low back pain and and they're telling you all these things in the subjective, um, like history taking, Um, you, you having some experience with that, you're, you're not necessarily going to go right to like a manual therapy technique, whereas maybe, you know, a student, um, like for example, myself, like if you're not, um, you're just going to maybe go right to one of those manual therapy techniques, because that might be all that you really have at your disposal, because that's kind of what we've been taught in school. Um, so I think that's where it becomes, you know, some of the, you have to kind of figure that out as you go along.
1: For sure. And I think along with that learning piece of kind of always growing, um, there's a lot less times probably in the past year or two that I've been using manual therapy on my on my first session with someone. Um, initially, you know, when I initially got that designation of that F camp designation. It was kind of like you know that that was my thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna do some manual therapy on everyone. I'm gonna try to help them feel better on day one. Was you know that's why we get into the pre- profession is we want to try to help people feel better. I think at the end of the day. Um, but what I've started to notice is that can kind of build that expectation, then. Yeah. and and uh, and that's not what we want to be doing. Uh, if we're trying to empower people to be you know, to guide their own way through a treatment plan or to guide their own way back to movement or back to whatever the activity they want to do. Uh, I don't think that it's necessarily empowering um, to be trying to make them feel better on day one with whatever that may be. Uh, And that's, you know, that's, that's a Peter O'Sullivan thing, right? Where, you know, that can be one of the most dangerous things that we do is decrease someone's pain. Uh, because then that can kind of build an expectation that that's that's what they're coming to us for is to always give them pain relief and and kind of build that, that reliance on us and and that's the opposite of what we want to be doing. We want to be empowering people to get better and us just being kind of the guides along that journey for them. It's um, a great point. But you know, that, yeah. saying that there are examples when I do use manual therapy on day one, so I you know I can't say that I never do. Um, I had a client uh, last week who, you know, had had very intense upper back and chest pain. Right. I know you guys did a post on this a, a little while back that got a lot of love, uh, rightfully so. That ribs ribs don't go out of place, and uh, and I like that because they don't. Right. It would take a, a high impact motor vehicle accident, and and they would probably break before they would go out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, but this lady, uh, kind of upon further assessment. Had a lot of, you know, built up tension, tone, you know, muscle, uh, hypertonicity, whatever you want to call it in that area um, with, with kind of pain referring from the upper back into the chest. Uh, she'd kind of been to the emergency room, had a lot of anxiety built up around it. Uh, but also I kind of figured that, you know, this person is, is someone that now is, is struggling just to get around day to day. And I know a technique that I believe can be helpful for her today. Um, and that was when I did, you know, just kind of that classic rib distraction manipulation where you're just kind of doing, what I usually call it to the, to the patient or to the client is you're just kind of doing a reset, right? We're not putting anything back in place. When you hear that little pop, I explain to them what, what a cavitation is and, and what it isn't. We're not, something wasn't out of place and it's back in. It's just that it was stiff and now for a short period of time, it's moving better and here's the exercises that you need to do to progress and get it moving even better. Uh, and, and and sure enough, she came back two days later and, and this is just a case study of one. Obviously this isn't research, but I'm just saying, this is how I would use it in a clinical setting. Um, and she was, she was pain free and and I, I won't see her again. Right? So that's someone where if I just gave her some exercises, um, which I tried to do initially. She just wouldn't move for me. She wouldn't move at all, and uh, and it, she just physically was in pain trying to move. Uh, and and even that day walking out was was a lot less painful. And you know, you may say, well, that builds a reliance on that technique. Yeah, potentially, and, and maybe I should have done it differently. Uh, but that's kind of still me as a as a therapist learning, and uh, and I don't feel like I
2: did anything wrong in that case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think that's a tough thing to navigate. It's something that we've talked about a lot on the podcast is like this this idea of like navigating expectations. And I think like that is something that I wish we talked about more is yeah. knowing okay, this person I think has a high likelihood of becoming dependent on this type of service. So it might be not a good idea to have a lot of manual therapy day one with this person we might have to talk about things try to steer them towards another direction versus someone where you know like it's going to be that quick like we're going to do a little bit of this then we're going to go right to the exercise room and you know that there's not going to be any dependency i wish that's something that we talked about a little bit more
1: yeah i think it it definitely needs to be discussed more um and i think you always you always have to be cognizant of it when you're when you're a treating clinician it's something that i'm always thinking about on a daily basis um you know is this going to be helpful for them um in the short term because I have, a, I have a fairly you know fairly strong belief and there's there's a decent research base to show that it'll give probably give some short-term relief and some short-term improvement in movement um, but is that short-term relief going to be outweighed by a long-term dependency on this type of service? Uh, and in those cases, that's definitely not what I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think there's a great you know, outcome measure right now that will tell you that other than just kind of the feel that you get on day one. Uh, and for this lady that I gave the example of, um, I, I kind of got the feel that she was, just someone that kind of needed a little bit of help, but wasn't someone that was, you know, there weren't a lot of kind of yellow flag psychosocial issues in the history. Uh, She had no history of pain really in this type of area, you know, slept at a cottage on a, on a weird cot and kind of woke up this way um, and and was really struggling. And uh, yeah, you know, when I think back on it now, maybe I just needed to let her kind of grind it out a bit more and and reassure her that it would get better no matter what I did. Um, but in that case, I just chose to, to use a technique that I knew would would kind of get her through the weekend and, uh, and get her feeling a lot better. And uh, yeah, like I said, I mean, you can kind of go back and forth on these things so many times. But when you're in the clinic, you kind of have to make a decision right at that time. And, and you're not going to have time to go back and look up research while you're there, you know, the <laughs> research, in the back of your head, but uh, you you want to make a decision. And, and for me, that's, that's kind of the one I wanted to make that day. And I don't, I don't feel bad about it, to be honest.
0: Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it can be it kind of leads into like our last question here. It can be, it can be uh difficult as a student, like we're, we're going to be literally done school in a week. Um, so coming out of school, trying to, <laughs> trying to, trying to kind of find those philosophies in, in kind of the the way that you want to treat Um, you you can get pulled in all kinds of different directions with multiple, you know, con ed courses and different systems and all this stuff. What piece of advice would you, you know, offer students or, you know, me and Will who are are going out there and uh, trying to establish that philosophy, those philosophies for ourselves?
1: Um, So in general, you have to try to figure out, I think, what type of therapist you want to be, right? I don't mean like, do you want to be cardio rehab versus acute care versus in the clinic? Cause most people have a pretty good idea of that by, by the end of their school uh, term. So, you know, assuming you, you have an idea of what type of physiotherapist you want to be that way, then you have to know what kind of setting that you want to go into. Do you want to go into somewhere that's, that's really kind of assistant based where you, you have minimal time with someone? Um, if so, then you've got to be able to know what you're going to be able to do in that kind of setting. Do you want to go somewhere that you've got more time with people to build that rapport? And if so, then if, if you know, you're going to have the time with them, well, then how are you going to fill that time? And if you've got a a good understanding of, um, for example, strength and conditioning, you've got a background, you've done a kinesiology degree, you've done some strength and conditioning coursework, then you probably don't need to go do exercise based coursework after Uh, in in that case, if you do plan to use some manual therapy, then that would be someone that I would kind of guide down that program, uh, because there are a lot of manual therapy kind of one-off weekend courses where you can go learn how to do it, a thoracic spine manipulation. Um, but you guys probably already know how to do that. And I don't think you gain a lot from it. So if you're going to do that, then go to a structured program that teaches you that, but also teaches you you know the clinical reasoning and the safety pieces behind it um whereas if you if you got a pretty good handle on manual therapy and exercise because you've you've gone to western like you guys have um you know then maybe you know you want to kind of spin off that dave walton kind of pain science thing and and go down the take some noi classes or things like that and uh, there's so much value in so many courses out there that it's hard to say, you know, go do this and go do this or go do that. Um, you got to kind of find what you're most interested in and, and that kind of stick to something, right? Because if you're, if you're always doing these kind of one-off weekend, I go do an acupuncture course for a couple weekends, or then I go do a, you know, this is how you do a lumbar manipulation for a couple of weekends mm-hmm. and you've got all these, you know, quote unquote tools in your toolbox. Um, but you may not know when to use them or how to use them. So, 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 you know, take some kind of a structured program and stick with that for a while, see where it leads you and then go from there.
0: Perfect. Cool. Yeah, I think I think uh, also just, you know, you got to understand that you're going to take some things away from some courses and you're going to take and some things that you learn, you're not going to use at all. And I, I think just trying to, it's okay to, to do that and, and to, to kind of feel out, the different things that you may find valuable, like for your population. Again, it depends on what you're seeing, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm just getting into my first kind of assistant role on one of these manual therapy courses in the fall. Uh, and I kind of went back and forth Do I want to do this. Um, and actually listening to Dave Walton, uh, when you guys had him on and, you know, thinking about changing something from within Mm
0: -hmm.
1: versus being able to change it from the outside looking in. Um, I think there's lots of changes that could be made to these programs to make them more, uh, more evidence-based. For example, um, you know, we know from a lot of the research that we can't probably be as specific as we think we want to be with some of these techniques. Uh, So just kind of keeping up with that and maybe throwing out some of the you know, the really super specific techniques that, that we learn on these courses and probably never use again. Uh, I think we could probably use our time a little bit more wisely in some of these cases. Um, and I don't, I'm not arguing that I can kind of go in there and just change everything <laughs> day one by any means. Um, but I, I think more and more younger people getting into some of the instructing roles and providing some feedback into what people like yourselves are thinking when they're coming out of courses or coming out of the school program for physiotherapy, physical therapy, and thinking, you know, do I do I really want to do any manual therapy coursework because this is the research behind it, and I know that these, you know, this is the way that the courses go. So I think we need to be cognizant of that as well. And uh, and I'm hopeful I'm going to try it out, see how I like it, uh, and I'm hopeful that you know more and more younger people get into the kind of instructing roles. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that maybe we can kind of make some of those changes uh, gradually
0: sweet that's awesome I think it's a great place to wrap it up so um, if you want to why don't you just let people know where they can find you uh, on social media uh, where they can find your clinic and and all that good stuff
1: Uh, yeah thanks guys Um, so clinic website uh, pulse physiotherapy.ca Uh, My email, if anyone wants to chat about anything, if anyone wants to bash on me for manual therapy, hate mail mail can go directly to Connor, C-O-N-N-O-R at pulsephysiotherapy.ca. Send all your hate mail there. (laughs) Uh, And uh, Instagram uh, is probably where we're most active now on social media is at pulsephysioptbo. Uh, and then we have a a similar Facebook account as well and Twitter that I I rarely get on.
0: Cool. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's, uh, been a busy time, new house, got kids, got all kinds of things going on, but we really appreciate you sitting down and talking with us.
1: Yeah. Thanks guys. I said this to the, the other crew on the podcast as well, the PT business corner, but, uh, I'm super impressed by what you guys are doing. Um, when we think back to Adam and I were chatting, when we think back to physiotherapy school, I can't imagine doing something outside of what we were doing. So very impressed by you guys. So keep up the great work and, uh, and good luck in your careers, which are uh, starting in uh, a matter of weeks now.
2: <sighs>
1: Thanks so much, Connor. That means a lot.
0: To me. Yeah, we appreciate that. All right. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon, Connor. Take care.
1: Sounds good. Take care, guys.